Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. We've got a what we think is a pretty good one today. We got Dr. Dustin Harrell, the LSU Ag Center Rice Extension Specialist, and we got R.L. Frazier up in. Um, he's up in. I'm in Madison. We still are out of the office in East Carroll. We can't get back in. Okay. Well, yeah, he's, he's a, he knocked the building off the thing, so he wouldn't have to go back, I guess. But, and I'm in I'm in St. Joe at the station. So, um, we're going to talk about today about row rice. Um, Dustin, um, you know we've been doing it up here. You know, y'all are doing it down in southwest Louisiana. But, uh Let's talk about it. Uh, let's start with simple things. Tell, tell me what you think of it. Well, uh, as you know, oil rice is, is really taking off in, in your part of the state. Um, if we look back uh, in about 2017, in the state of Louisiana, we had about 2,500 acres of roll rice. Uh, last year, we had about 5,000 acres of roll rice. So we doubled in uh, roll rice or furrow irrigated rice acres. Uh, and this year, I actually just finished doing our statistics for the year for the rice production in the state and uh, we just found out we have 15,000 acres of furrow irrigated rice this year so we tripled uh, in the amount of acres so it's definitely a trend uh, that's going up each year and you know we're still hearing more and more renewed interest uh, even coming from 2020 so I think it's here to stay and uh, we can expect the acres to keep growing in the coming years. That's, Go ahead, Dennis. That's one thing that in, in Tensile, we were down this year. Uh, Tensile, we rotated out because, you know, rotation with soybeans is just almost a necessity or is the best thing. And we kind of rotated out in Tensile and Catahoula. Uh, and I don't know about what y'all do in Madison, Oriel. We didn't have any this year in Madison, picked up a little bit in East Carroll. But again, rice has never been a real stable crop in our area we're in and out according to the market we've got of course you know the chicago mill property down there that's always going to have rice because of the owner of the land dictates certain amount of rice being grown there uh but other than that you know outside that uh, sharky road area we get into some folks that are in and out of rice depending on years and they chose out this year probably more for rotational purposes but they love it they'll be back well that's the thing okay let's talk first about varieties it's always been hybrids did y'all have y'all done any work dustin i know keith collins did a little bit with non-hybrids have you done any with non-hybrids as far as row rice well, when we're talking about roll rice, uh, one of the most important things we have to think about is a variety or cultivars, whether it's a variety or hybrid, it's resistant to the disease blast. Um, blast is a rice disease that can actually wipe out a rice crop. Uh, and um, we have to plant a variety or hybrid that it, it is resistant to blast if we're going to be, you know, grow rice in upland conditions because upland conditions favor the development of that disease. So that's what we really have to look for. So if you take our rice varieties uh, and management tips publication, uh, inside that Dr. Don Groth, our pathologist, has 
listed uh, all the different recommended varieties and hybrids uh, and their ability to uh, withstand that disease uh, called blast. So the first thing I look for is a variety or hybrid that's resistant to blast. And, and most of our hybrids are resistant. And that's why you're going to see hybrids on the majority of furrow irrigated rice acres. Um, some of our varieties aren't as resistant, but we, we do have some moderately resistant varieties out there, uh, like a Catahoula or a Clearfield Jasmine. And then we get down to the third tier, which is our moderately susceptible varieties. This is kind of where I would think I would probably want to draw the line uh, if I was gro growing in, in furrow irrigated rice. And that would be something like a Chenier would be okay, a CL-111 or a CL-153. Uh, those three are, are moderately susceptible. Uh, I would definitely try to stay away from the susceptible or the very susceptible varieties to blast. Mm -hmm. Okay. So cultivar selection is, is of the utmost importance. Yeah. Well, on those lines, uh, Dustin, uh, we've noticed Dennis and I have it, soil types. How critical are soil types? Or does soil types play into a, a bigger role into the selection for fur irrigated rice versus traditional paddy rice? Well, I think soil type is definitely going to play into the management of furrow irrigated rice. Um, obviously, if you're going to grow on a heavy clay and it's going to be prone to having water stress, uh, you know, if you're not irrigating, you know, close enough periods of time, then uh, you are going to be more susceptible to blast. So I, I think indirectly it's going to be related uh, to the cultivar selection and, and blast resistance. But all in all, we just have, if we make sure that we have moisture to the roots, um, we'll, we'll probably be okay. And we can also manage blast with, with, somewhat successfully as long as it has some natural resistance using fungicides mm -hmm. and uh, typically you know if you're not growing a resistant hybrid uh, I would probably think about using two fungicide applica applications uh, for furrow irrigated rice to control blast. Okay um, so while we're talking about soil types and this that and the other um, let's talk let's get into water management before we get into fertility. Um, Waterman, which most of ours is on a heavy clay. And the big the big deal is, in fact, the only people I know of that don't hold water are the ones in the, up here and along the river, Tinsall, Madison, Concordia. We generally, in Catahoula, we generally don't hold water. We treat it just like another irrigated crop. What do you think about it? Hold water or not? <laughs> well, that's a good question. So, so every furrow irrigated field is different. And I, I think that, you know, if, if you're just hearing about furrow irrigated rice for the first time, you have to realize one situation is not going to be exactly the same as another. So we have growers, some that will furrow irrigate and pull a levee at the end of the field and start backing that water up uh, from the beginning of the year uh, until, you know, to the end of the year, it may be half or two thirds of, of a flooded field. Now, um, I like this practice, and, and the reason I do is because really we're going to have, you know, somewhere between 25 to 50 percent of the field is actually going to be in a flooded situation, which is going to be just like our, our regular flooded rice. And really, uh, the only upland part of it will be the upper half uh, or, or third of the field. So in, in this case, it, it's better for uh, fertilizer management. It's 
especially nitrogen in the flooded portion of the field. Uh, it's also better for disease management when we're talking about blast because you're not under that water stress. Um, those fields that, that are completely furrow irrigated where they're, they're taking the water out at the bottom end of the field, um, this is where we're going to have the greatest pressure uh, and, and greatest need to stay on top of the, the irrigation as well. So I, I like the, the holding the water, but, but all fields are different. Well, and I go back to this, that if you, we see, we know from moisture sensors that the rice roots in are going eight to 12 inches deep. Now, you know, the rule of thumb's always been don't let the soil dry out below six inches. But if we manage that, if we can manage that, we can manage our water because basically you're flushing it. So you're only filling up five, six inches of, you know, instead of normally putting on three inches with a fur irrigation, we're putting on about half normally. Right. Um, so you're most, mostly just flushing. It runs across pretty fast. Um, but to go back to your nitrogen, if you've got water on one end flooded, don't you have three management zones in the field? How do you manage them? Yeah, so you're, you're striking a good point. So anytime, and let's talk about nitrogen management and, and furrow irrigated rice. Um, the, the bottom line is it's going to be more difficult to manage nitrogen and furrow irrigated rice because we're going from a wet to a dry to a wet to a dry and to a wet to a dry back and forth. And, and this causes more nitrogen loss. So that in itself means that we're going to have to use a little bit more nitrogen. So the way we're going to manage nitrogen uh, in furrow irrigated rice uh, is going to be different than what we're going to do in flooded irrigation rice. So in flooded irrigation rice, is, uh, we're going to apply about two-thirds of our nitrogen just before that permanent flood establishment. Then we're going to establish that flood, and then we're going to hold that water the rest of the year. And then when we get to mid-season, we're going to apply that last one-third of nitrogen. All of our nitrogen recommendations are based on that management scheme. Now, when we get into furrow irrigated rice, we're not going to apply that big slug of nitrogen uh, right at that our normal pre-flood application time, which is just before tillering. We're going to start splitting that up, and we're going to apply uh, what we call spoon feeding. We're going to split that pre-flood nitrogen, what's typically pre-flood, and split it up into three separate applications. I like to go with just 100 pounds of urea uh, for each of those split seven to 10 days apart and then still come in uh, at mid-season if you need it and, and apply that mid-season application. Now, your question was going back to, if we're holding water at the bottom of the end of the field uh, and not at the top, what are we gonna do? Well, in a case where you know you're gonna hold a lot of water, you can go back to how we manage uh, flooded irrigation rice, and you can still put that big slug and manage the bottom half, just like you would flooded irrigation, knowing that on the top half, you're probably going to have to come back with an additional nitrogen application. So it's not cut and dry because every field is different. So every field you're going to have to have your own, you know, generalized recommendation. But those are kind of some of the starting points we would start with uh, for managing that kind of rice. Okay. RL, you got to RL. Yeah, I'm kind of looking over some notes I had here. Uh, on some things that we had done. Uh, Dustin, what we've seen, Dennis and I, mainly Dennis, uh, the water use seems to be less 
more efficient use of our water, especially our underground water. Uh, are we seeing this in other places? Yeah, so you, you hit on a great point. And this is one of the things that makes row rice or furrow irrigated rice so attractive is, is one of the benefits of it is on most years, we're going to use less water and, of course, less energy because it takes either diesel or, or, or electricity to get that irrigation across the field. Uh, studies have shown this anywhere from, in most years, 10 you know, to 40% less uh, use of water and also energy. So that's not to say that every year it's going to be that way. But uh, on a drought year, it could be equal or maybe even more. But in most years, we expect the water savings of 10 to 40 percent. Now, furrow irrigated rice also has some other advantages that is why we have growers moving towards that. Uh, one is now we can grow rice uh, on land that typically wasn't rice land. Maybe it has a little bit too much slope on it for Typical flooded rice production. Well, now with furrow irrigated rice, we can move some of those acres uh, into rice production. Um, our growers that like to look at commodity prices, um, now that they can pull uh, beds or, or make furrows, and they can make later decisions based on commodity prices. Um, so that's another advantage they could, you know, that they're moving into furrow irrigated rice because they can prepare those beds. But hey, soybeans looks better. Let's let's switch to soybeans real quick. Or, or or vice versa. Um, and another advantage is in most years we're seeing similar uh, yields. Um, we're not seeing as much as a yield drag uh, in the past few years as, as we would have expected. Um, so we're getting similar, in some cases, higher yields. But I would say if you're a new grower going into furrow irrigated rice, um, start off expecting maybe 10% less yield. Uh, but you may still get equal or, or better yield. But at least if you go in there expecting a little bit lower, um, you know, if we have a drought year or a tough furrow irrigated rice year, you, you kind of know what to expect. And uh, But in most cases, we've seen similar to even higher yields in the furrow irrigated rice. All right, Dustin, I reckon not being that much of a rice expert myself, you know, the old myth is rice has got to grow in water for weed control. Are we looking at any additional weed control costs, uh, grass <laughs> control? Absolutely. Look, you're taking a crop that is traditionally grown in a flooded situation, and now you're growing it in an upland situation. When you do that, the weed spectrum changes and the insect mm -hmm. spectrum changes. Okay. Uh, the flood in flooded irrigation rice is a form of, of weed control. That's one method we use to suppress uh, weeds. So in furrow irrigated rice, it's there's a couple ways that that we're going to have more grasses instead of uh, aquatics uh, come up in furrow irrigated rice. And the one way to to manage that is we're going to try to start off clean. Um, consider growing a clear field variety, um, and then we're going to use uh, we're going to try to overlap residual herbicides. So well, those are the type of things that we're going to think about uh, to manage weed control. And the reason why I said clear field is because, you know, new path has a residual to it as well. So that's another, you know, we could take all of our different residual herbicides and overlap them. Uh, we, can, we can manage until that canopy uh, closes to, to help, help us with weed control. I, I would say in general, expect one more herbicide application 
and furrow irrigated rice and what you would expect uh, in flood irrigation. Another thing we can do is we can increase our seeding rate by 10%. This will help that canopy close a little bit quicker and, and help us with weed control uh, as well. Insect spectrum. <laughs> so instead of worrying about the rice water weevil, now, now I'm talking about on true furrow irrigated rice where we're letting the tailwater leave, not holding water. Right. Now, the number one insect pest in rice has traditionally been the rice water weevil. Well, if we're growing in open conditions, that's no longer the case. Now we're going to worry about bill bugs and we're going to work, worry about grape colaspis and things like that uh, as being more troublesome than, than a rice water weevil. Now, if we take Dennis's uh, example where we're holding water and we got flooded on the bottom and, and non-flooded at the top, now we're worrying about both spectrums. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, to think it, it, and I, I don't want to discourage anybody, but management early season with furrow irrigated rice, you need to stay on top of it. You need to stay on top of weed control. You got to stay on top of water. Um, and, and those are the two of the things that, you know, you really have to stay on top of. You know, you mentioned the bill bug there. You know, Josh Coates and I found probably some of the first ones in furrow irrigated rice on the station at St. Joe this year. Uh what about seed treatments? Is there anything that we might could do to help with that? Yeah, so some of our upland pests like grape colaspis uh, and things like that, uh, they're neonics, neonicotinoid seed treatments like Cruiser Max, uh, things like that uh, can help you there. Definitely you want to use an insecticide and a fungicide uh, seed treatment for your furrow irrigated rice. And, and if you get bill bugs late in the season, you're gonna kind of get uh, the whiteheads where the grain's gonna mm -hmm. blank and it's gonna girdle the, you know, they're gonna chew at the bottom of that stem. At that point, you really can't do anything. You know, the best way, <laughs> the best way to uh, control bill bugs is to flood the field. <laughs> but once you start seeing symptoms of the grain panicles blanking, you're you're really it's too late to do anything. Too late. Well, so, and that's why we actually found them this year was, you know, started seeing dead plants in there. And we had heard of bill bugs, didn't even know what we were looking for. We were just digging and scratching and finally found one. But luckily it was at the tail end of the season and we didn't have any problems, you know, for its loss. Yeah, at that point, there's really not much you can do. Traditionally, they've only been a problem on our levees, you know, yeah. in conditions. But uh, we, we changed the way we grow it. We, we changed our insect and, and weed spectrum. So, well, I got a question now. You, you throw, we've talked about, you know, saving water equals to maybe more, maybe less, just just say equal yields. But we've talked about weed control and we've talked about insect control. When the dollar figures are all put together, does it cost more or less to produce a fur irrigated crop? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think every situation is going to be different. I mean, if we're saving a lot of water, and we don't have any issues, and you've got a system down, uh, and you're getting equal yields, you're probably going to do better. Um, if you're not, if say you're saving water, but you're spending extra money on an additional herbicide application, a little bit more fertilizer, uh, you're paying a consultant a little bit more because he's got to walk that, he's got to keep a closer eye on that field early in the season. You know, you might not be as good, but. Uh, the jury's still out on that one. Okay. 
let me let me ask let me go back to fertilize <clears throat> let's go back to the nitrogen strip nitrogen two things one is traditionally around here everybody puts a starter they fly on 75 to 100 pounds of ammonia sulfate as soon as the rice is up to a stain you know gives it a little bit of nitrogen gets it going they get their sulfur out there i don't know if y'all do that in patty rice or not some people do some don't but uh kind of personal preference i guess but on the nitrogen would a nitrogen reference strip where we can go in and do these multiple applications be a necessity a very good practice what do you think uh, i think when we get to the point where we have a calibrated um you know, a uh, method of, of taking that reference strip and generating uh, instantaneous nitrogen recommendations. Uh, I think once we get to that point, that's going to be very useful. Um, I think at this point, you know, we're not there yet. Uh, we have that for flooded rice, but not for, for upland rice. And uh, I think at this point, that would be a good visual to look at. But I think... Uh, you know, we're just going to have to manage this by feel at, at this point. Uh, yes, we do use starter nitrogen applications in flooded rice. Uh, ammonium sulfate is often used in that. We, we may also use DAP, uh, diammonium phosphate as, as part of our starter nitrogen. And typically in our flooded rice, that application is not considered to be very efficient because by the time we flood that rice, that starter application has probably been out there two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it's in the nitrate form. We flood that rice and all that nitrogen that's in the nitrate form is lost through denitrification. And by that time, the size of our plants, we've really only taken up about one to two pounds of that starter nitrogen application. So if you're applying 20 pounds, you've only taken up two pounds. That's only 10% nitrogen use efficiency on that. However, in upland conditions, it's different. Rice can take up ammonium and it can take up nitrate. So it's actually going to be more efficient uh, in an upland condition because we're not going to a permanent flood, at least not at the top of the field. And uh, so, yes, I, I definitely think that's a good practice. Um, and we would probably need to count that more in an upland, a furrow irrigated field than, than we would a flooded field because just because of the soil conditions are so much different. Uh, it's actually going to be a lot more beneficial in that furrow irrigator rice. Well, the the rule of thumb was, or the reasoning behind it initially was, you put the starter out, it gets the rice growing faster and gets you tillering faster, gets you shaded faster, so you have shade, you know, for ground cover. And, um, yeah, and that's exactly right. And, and we, I did research on that, I don't know, 10 to 12 years ago. And uh, that's exactly what we saw. We didn't necessarily see a yield increase uh, at the end of the year from starter nitrogen applications and flooded rice. What we did see is we were a week earlier to get the flood. You get the flood a week earlier, it's good for weed control. We get that increased vegetative growth early in the season. Uh, and, and those things are, are management, makes the management of the rice much, much easier. So those are pretty much the advantages of that. Okay, well that was, that, I mean, it's just kind of like, everybody just started doing it and it's pretty much your first shot. As soon as the rice comes up to a stand, it 
they go out. And some of it goes out by ground. Some of it goes out by air. It just kind of depends on what they're doing and where they're at and all, you know. Uh, so, but it's it seems to be pretty standard. But the nitrogen reference strip was something that we're putting out multiple applications. I'm just wondering if that would be a tool that we needed to be looking at or using to help manage that nitrogen. Uh, it would definitely be a great reference. That's for sure. A visual out there. Um, you know, I think, you know, that's, that's the area where our research needs to gravitate towards as, as furrow irrigated rice uh, becomes more prevalent for sure. Okay. Um, Anything else, Dario? Well, I was just going to ask, Dustin, are you seeing any advantages or disadvantages when it comes to harvest, any, whether it be lodging, mud, yeah. no mud, better harvest, worst harvest conditions, anything that's, pertaining to it? That's a great question. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. So, you know, every situation is different. Row spacing, you know, how high you make the bed. Uh, a grower is going to choose that based on the available equipment. Uh, I would caution growers that they don't want to make beds too high and the, you know, the furrows too low uh, because one thing that can happen is if you get a lot of rice in the bottom of a furrow and let's say we over fertilize with nitrogen and all that rice lodges in that furrow, um, the header of the combine in some cases, it may be difficult to pick lodged rice that's lodged in a furrow, uh, maybe make it difficult to pick up. So that's one thing that we have to look at. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll go back to the beds at the beginning of the year, you know, not make them too high or, or the furrows too low. So that, that's one disadvantage or, or thing that could be problematic. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are others, but that's just the first one I can think of off the top of my yeah. head. I, well, I was just thinking since you've not held it under a flooded condition all year, and you know you don't have to worry about taking you know pulling the water dropping the water whatever terminology you want to use and waiting for it to finish maturing and drying up just seems like to me where you've just been keeping that top four to six inches wet and then you decide it's mature you quit watering uh looks like the uh, field would be drier for harvest yeah you're you're right I, and i we pro i should have probably mentioned that um, typically we're going to irrigate a little bit longer in furrow irrigated rice for that reason, because we drain, we, when we drain, when we do is to, to allow that field to dry up, uh, so that we can harvest it dry on a clay. We typically go out there and we look at the rice panicles and if about one third of that panicle, the top third is straw colored, then we know it's time to drain the field. And that typically gives the clay soil about three weeks to dry. On a silt loam soil, we look for that panicle to be half straw colored or mature, and then we drain that field, and that gives the silt loam soil about two weeks to dry. So on furrow irrigated rice, we're going to go longer than that. Probably, you know, we're probably going to keep water until that, you know, a little bit later because it's going to dry much faster. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it Another point we probably need to mention is is that you need to make sure that there's no water stress, you know, during grain fill and flowering of that rice. You have to maintain that that moisture. Well, that's that's generally the things being everybody 
like last year, I know on uh, the trial we had here in Tinsau, it was uh, it was 12 inches uh, until July the 1st. That's all we used, 12 acre inches. Now, in the month of July, it was hot and dry, we used 18. But it was headed out, it was filling grain. Uh, they cut it off July 31st, and um, two weeks later, it was cut. You know, so I mean, it's, it's, it, you have to, you can take advantage of the rains. One grower told me, if I get a half inch on that field, then I collected all half inch. Nothing went over the gate out into the ditch, you know. So, I mean, that's that's kind of a simple way to look at it, but that's what he was looking at, you know. Yeah, so if you have a, a bottom levee that you're holding that water and, and you've got uh, boards in the back where you can raise those boards so you can catch a couple inches whenever it rains, and, and that freeboard water is free water. So uh, you can manage yeah. that and hold that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Whatever, whatever. we'll go with that. <laughs> I still I know back back year I was involved with it. It rained all summer long, and and we took total advantage of every every inch of rain we got, and hardly on the variegated rice, very little water was actually had to be pumped. Yeah. But paddy rice, you still had to maintain floods, and the, you didn't get his his full advantage of the rainfall. I reckon what I'm trying to say. Yeah. With the paddy rice as you do with the fur irrigated, it's been my experience anyway. Yeah. Well, it, um, I think we've anything else you got, you want to say, you got anything, observations to finish up with? No, uh, I think uh, we had a pretty good conversation. I, I would like to say that, you know, we did finish our rice variety survey that we have our agents across the state conduct each year. Um, and all that information includes what varieties we planted in each parish, how those you know, varieties were, were planted, how, what tillage practices they use, and how they manage water. All that data is available on the LSU Ag Center website. Uh, just go to rice and then statistics, and you'll be able to pull that up for 2019 as well as all the previous years. And uh, it's always been a good resource uh, to the people that need it uh, when they need it. So that, that is available now. All right. Well, good deal. Well, we appreciate you talking to us today. And like I say, we uh, we gave you plenty of time to tell everybody about it. And we do encourage if you're thinking about it and we've had some extra calls this year, people are really interested in it. We tell everybody, don't plant the farm, just plant 25 or 30 acres, you know, one field to get started to figure it out. Get your feet wet. Exactly. Don't, don't, don't jump off the head. Just get your feet wet. No, because it can be a little overwhelming at times. But we appreciate it. And uh, you got any final thoughts, Ariel? Well, we got a little bit of needed rainfall, but not wanted. How about that? Well, yeah, that's kind of we're we're back picking cotton today. Sun came out. Well, we hadn't got back. Sun just started shining here for the first time in two days. So we're running out of time. Dustin, we appreciate you coming on. Always Bye. good. We'll be back. Be back in touch. See y'all next Bye. week. Later. Take care. Bye. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local Extension office.